Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today, you'll enjoy outstanding music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. Fear to fear Laughter high 
of years ago, I had the great privilege of flying from Athens by helicopter across to the little island of Patmos. It's a barren place. It's just like a little Alcatraz in the blue Aegean Sea. I was there in springtime. I thought it would be very hot. It's just off the coast of Turkey. It was anything but warm, it is freezing. Like an ancient Alcatraz, this was the place where they sent John. John, of course, was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. The Bible says he was the one whom Jesus loved. Jesus had a special, close relationship with John. When John became an old man, the fire didn't go out of his soul. John was a dissident. I would like to be a dissident for God. <laughs> John was a political dissident. He was also a religious dissident. And in those days, they had a special way, Harold, of getting rid of dissidents who didn't have attorneys. <laughs> they put them, in, put them in, in pots of boiling oil. But the problem is, John had such a tough hide. <laughs> and even though they put him in a pot of boiling oil, he was delivered by the grace of God. And then, about 60 years, more than 60 years after his first encounter with Jesus, they put John on a boat, and they sent him to this little hell hole. 
And they thought that would finish the preaching of John forever. He was sent, sent there in the days of the great tyrant Domitian. So they sent him to this Alcatraz thinking that would silence the preaching of the everlasting gospel. But when he went there, God turned that rocky little island into the gate of heaven. That's what God can do, you know. He can turn a hell hole into the gate of heaven. And he turned this rocky little island fortress into the very gate of heaven. And there John wrote the book of Revelation. I want you please to take your Bible and turn with me to the book that is called the Apocalypse. The book of Revelation. The book of Revealings. Revelation chapter 1. I want you please to turn to it. And in coming church services we are going to go through the great book of Revelation that deals with the crisis in the last days. The book of Revelation chapter 1. I'm excited to see all of you folks here today. The revelation of Jesus Christ or the apocalypse which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it, or this word signified really is signified, because the book of Revelation is written in signs and symbols that we should not take literally, even though their meaning is literal, but the signs themselves should not be taken literally. He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God. Now I'm going to read a passage, then we're going to come back and talk about it. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all the things which he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Please follow me in the Bible. John to the seven angels which are in Asia Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and they also who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. There on this barren place, John received the message of God for his church down through the ages and particularly for the church 
that is living in the last days. This book, even though it has a message for all people for all times, is written especially for the people of God who will go through the final crisis. This book concerns itself with the conquering Christ. We're going to talk about that today. It concerns itself with the triumph of the church, with the great tribulation, with the rapture, the return of Jesus, the reign of the awful Antichrist, the final crisis on the church, and the coming of the mark of the beast, and then it climaxes in, in visions of glory, visions of the earth made new, and the new Jerusalem, and the people of God home at last. Would you please notice these verses as I take you through them. Would you please come to verse 1, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. And even though you will be blessed by just listening, you'll be blessed much more if you will listen and follow in the scriptures. I want you today to hear the word of the Lord. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass or take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. My friend, these words that we're reading here were written at least 60 years after the death of Jesus. He said, it is the revelation of of Jesus that God gave to him. But tell me, friend, how could a man who was crucified and buried 60 years previous to the writing of this book have any message for the church, for you, and for the world? Because he's alive. He's alive. And when John was sent as a political and a religious dissident to the island of Patmos, there he met face to face the Lord whom he had worshipped in person 60 years before. Jesus came down and spoke to him face to face in glory. It is the revelation of Jesus because at the very outset of this book we have the glorious news that he is not dead but he lives forevermore. I want you to know this today. The word of God bears witness to the mighty truth that the Christ whom we serve is not a corpse over there in Jerusalem, but he is the conquering son of God, the line of the tribe of Judah, who sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and who cares for his people. Is that not good news today? The revelation of Jesus, he couldn't give a, re give a revelation if he was dead. But our Christ is alive and he lives forevermore. Who bore witness, verse 2, to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ that proves he's alive. The te dead men, Harold, do not give testimonies. Mm -hmm. And to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all the things which he saw. Now here is the first of seven blessings. Did you know this? 
that seven in the Bible is a perfect number. It stands for completion. And in the book of Revelation, J, there are seven mighty blessings that are given to the child of God. Not six, not five, and not eight. There are seven blessings, and we're going to notice the first of them. Blessed is he who reads. And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. With that, you're taking time for these verses. I want to give you the seven blessings. The first blessing is, blessed is the person who reads the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. You will be blessed. As you come to church... And as we study together the great message of the apocalypse, I want you to know there is a guaranteed blessing. You are going to be blessed as you come and as you hear the book of Revelation speak to you. Let me give you the seven blessings. There is the first one. The second blessing is chapter 14, 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord henceforth. Just listen to me on this one. I'm going to move through this fast. You won't have time to look them up. 1615, blessed is he who is awake, keeping his garments so that he may not go naked and be seen exposed. Revelation 19 verse 9, blessed are those who are called, who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a blessing that is. That you and I can be called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a blessing. Revelation 26, blessed and holy is he who shares in the first resurrection. The people who share in the first resurrection are going to live for eternity. How blessed are those people. Revelation 22 verse 7, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. My friend, as you come to church, and hear this exposition of the book of Revelation, the blessing is upon the person not only who hears, but the person who keeps the sayings of this book. Now you may come into this church, and you may come as a spectator, and you may listen, you will be blessed, but the greatest blessing is to the person who, who hears and who obeys the word. Because I want to tell you, I am tired and sick to death of religiosity. we got too much religion in the world because most of it is humbug and sham and it's not worth a thing. Too much religiosity, too much churchiness, but the religion that I'm preaching here today and the religion I preach every day is the religion that gets inside a man and changes his life. And God wants to do a supernatural work for you. Sitting here today, you may say, my heart is cold. Uh, I've been brought up in a formalized church. And you find everything about the church nauseating. I want to tell you something today. It hasn't got to be the same with you. You can become a dynamic and a new person today. The Bible says we are not only to, to hear, but we are to keep the words of the prophecy of this book. And the seventh blessing is Revelation 22:14, where the Bible says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. What a blessing is there. 
The Bible says that if you and I wash our robes in the precious blood of the Lamb, we're going to have the right to eat of the tree of life and go through the gates into the city. What a blessing there is there. Come back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. Revelation chapter 1, dear hearts and gentle people whom I love. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed here it is, the first blessing. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And here it is again. And keep those things that are written in it, for the time is near. Listen to this, my friend. The Bible says the time is near. It says keep the words of the saying of this book because the time is near. Let me tell you something. The word time in the Greek language of which the, the book of Revelation is written is a very interesting word because from that word time we get the English word crisis. Now I don't know about the Spanish. But in the English the word is very similar to crisis. The Bible says hear and obey and keep these words because the crisis is at hand. Now I want you to know something. If you study all the signs that are given in the Bible, we are living in the time of the crisis. The great crisis is about to come upon the church. The greatest crisis in the, in the history of the human race is about to come upon the world and upon the church. And therefore the book of Revelation is written for a, a, a very a special and a very specific purpose to prepare men and women in these last days for the great crisis that is coming on the world and the church. And I want to tell every person sitting here today, if you are just the ordinary sort of person who goes to church and you are not born again and your life has not been dynamically changed by the power of God, you're not ready for the crisis. God is sending to the world today through earthquakes and fires and floods and other pestilences messages to say to the church and to the world, wake up, we are living in the time of revelation, we are living in the time of the apocalypse, wake up and be ready because the time is at hand. And so I believe today from a study of Holy Scripture and from a study of the prophecies that we are living in the time of the crisis. And that is why we have called this series The Crisis. Would you please now come to the next verse, Revelation chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5 as we continue our exegesis and our commentary. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace to you. Isn't that wonderful? God's first word to his people is grace to you. I say to you today, grace to you. Grace to you. You say, what does grace mean? What, what does this word mean? Grace means mercy. Grace means the love of God. Grace means the the compassion of God toward us poor, weak, stumbling sinners who cannot be saved by keeping the law of God. 
And the Bible says, because you have blown it, because you, you'll never be good enough in your own strength, the Bible says, I have a message for you, grace to you. I love you. I want you to know that God says, and I have mercy for you, grace to you. This is God's first word to the church, grace to you. He doesn't say law to you. He doesn't say uh, the commandments of God to you. Now that, that is, the law is good and the commandments are, are wonderful. He doesn't say, Harold, uh, the policy book to you. He doesn't say the church manual to you. Mm -hmm. God says grace to you. Because grace is full of joy and grace is full of glory. Grace to you and peace. You say, I don't have peace. I was terrified for weeks when the earthquake came, you say to me. I say, if you're terrified, now it's all right to be scared when these things come. But to live in an attitude of fear is contrary to the word of God. The religion that we're talking about today is a religion that casts out fear. Hear what I'm saying? Oh, you say, but it doesn't work. Well, it does if you've got grace. Because if you get grace, then the Bible says you get peace. And when black people and white people and brown people and yellow people all have the same grace in their hearts, Jay, then they got peace towards each other and you couldn't make them fight each other even if they wanted to. You see? Grace and peace. That's what Los Angeles needs. It doesn't need more money down the bottomless pit from Mr. Glennon. What it needs is grace from God. Grace to you and peace from him. Now here it talks about the doctrine of the blessed trinity. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That is referring to the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. Is there not only one Holy Spirit? Yes. But seven is the, the essence of perfection. And so the Holy Spirit is described here in the terminology of perfection. The seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the third person of the Godhead, the faithful witness, the person who will never lie to you, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Oh, too much to talk about in these verses. How can one ever hope to exhaust the Word of God and the teachings of the book of Revelation. Firstly, the Father, the one who is and who was and always will be from the seven spirits of God burning before the throne, the Holy Spirit, and then it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice now particularly the words about our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you please notice this? Did you know that in the first three chapters of the Apocalypse, Jesus is mentioned by name 140 times? Can you believe that? In the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus is named 140 times. Why is that so? Because the only way, my friend, you and I can ever be saved and have peace in our hearts and get through to the kingdom of God is through Jesus. Because Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. Notice what it says. 
and from Jesus, what sort of witness? Come on, come on, what is he? The Bible says he is a faithful witness. Now, my friend, I don't really need to elaborate this point, but we live today in an age of liars. Oh, you say, that's pretty strong. Yes, it is. The Bible says liars will have their part in the lake of fire, but we live today in, an, in a time of liars. When people will say something, but then they'll say, well, that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is a true witness. And when Jesus tells you something in his word, if he says, I love you, you can believe it. If Jesus says, I died for you, you can believe it. If Jesus says, I won't leave you and I won't forsake you, you can believe it because he is a faithful and a true witness. Then the Bible says, he washed us. Washed us in his own blood. The greatest truth in the Bible, listen carefully, the greatest truth in the Bible is the truth that the Son of God became a real man, affected by my sins but not infected with my sins. And on the cross, took my sins upon him, became my substitute, and paid in full the price of my wickedness. And the Bible says that whatever I've done in the past, Steve and A.K., whom we're going to miss, whatever I have done in the past, however filthy and dirty and bad the life has been, when I come to him, he washes me clean as clean can be. You may say today, you don't know to whom you are speaking. I may not, but God does. And he's a faithful and true witness. And whatever the past has been, if you and I come to Christ, the promises from the true and faithful witness, I will wash you and make you clean. Isn't that marvelous? You and I today can be washed and we can be clean in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you now to notice with me the next verse, which is really a very marvelous and a wonderful verse, dear people. I, I want you to see this, verse 6. And God has made us, the Bible says, it's almost too good to believe, he's made us kings. Read it with me, would you? He's made us kings <laughs> and priests to, to God, his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Bible tells me today that I, I'm not a third class citizen, brother. You know who I am? I'm a king. I'm a priest. Did you know that? Just treat me with a little more respect. The Bible says I'm a king and a priest and it tells me something more. So are you. I had the privilege only a few weeks ago of going through the Hermitage in St. Petersburg. I've seen some great places in the world, 
Buckingham Palace where the Queen lives. I've seen some wonderful palaces, but nothing like the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg where the Tsars used to live. It's almost too hard to believe. I was taken into a tremendous room where the Tsar used to dance with his ladies. And the pillars all around this great and wonderful place, this huge room, this ballroom, the pillars were as high as this church, covered with gold. Mm. I said to my son David, if Russia is broke, as they say they are, they ought to sell all of this stuff. You know, heaps of gold here. It's gold everywhere. But the pillars are made out of gold. I went in, into rooms that take your breath away. The ceilings covered in gold. The magnificent furniture is breathtaking. I want to tell you, God's people in heaven are going to live better than that. The Bible says you may not be making it so good in this lifetime, but the Bible says that the saints of God in the earth made new are going to enter upon their blessed eternal reward. And the Bible says not only are they going to be called kings, but they're going to live like kings. And the Bible says even more than this. The Bible says that God has made us priests. Did you know today that every person here is a priest. Did you know that back in the Old Testament, you think this through, there's only one person who could go into the most holy place. You know that, Jay? It was a high priest on the Day of Atonement, one day, and the rest of Israel stayed outside and they trembled and they listened to see if the high priest had survived. Only one person could go into the very presence of God and that was the high priest. The Bible tells me that because Christ has come and died for us and because he has made us into priests, every person today has got the right to go into the very presence of God within the veil, into the most holy place because of what Christ has done for us. Can you think of this? You think about that today. You and I do not need an earthly priest. Because every man today, through Christ, is a priest who can go into the presence of God. I want to say this to every person that listens. In God's church, there is no room for a hierarchy. There is no room for an elevated status of clergy in distinction to the laity. That is pagan teaching. It is not the teaching of the Bible. The Bible is completely opposed to religious class. And as a friend of mine says, the idea of a hierarchy in the church is a damnable heresy. Some of you believe it. It is a damnable heresy. I can remember when I was a boy out of college in Parks, a little town on the outer Baku in Australia. And an old couple came to my meetings. The old man was blind, but he heard the gospel. He accepted Christ. 
And when he died, they called him Pops. When Pops died, I was asked to take the funeral service. And when the family came to the church, my little church, for the funeral service so that I would bury Pops, they came to me with a wad of notes this thick, and they said, this is so your church can pray for his soul. But I said, he doesn't need the intercession of any man. Because through Christ, he entered into the most holy place. And God forgave him all his sins. And therefore, without money and without price, Pops is going to be saved in the kingdom. You say. So this verse is a verse that gives us complete assurance that in Christ we can go into the very throne room of the universe and this verse destroys all teachings that say that in the church we have a hierarchy and some people are better than others. Every person in the church is equal in the sight of God and we are kings and priests unto God. Isn't that something? Oh... May the day come soon when the church will believe these great truths. That nobody in the church should ever be put down and treated in an, a condescending way. No person should be made to think that he is inferior because there is no person in the church of the living God who is inferior, irrespective of his race or his background. Every person in the church is a king. At a priest. So don't put your brother down either. Don't criticize your brother. When he comes to church, if he doesn't have clothes on as good as your clothes, don't look down your nose at him. Don't offend somebody in the church willingly and hurt any person because of their background, because you are not just talking to any person, you're talking to a king, you're talking to a priest. And so when Christians get to understand this, then they will know how they ought to treat each other. And we need to treat each other as God treats us. And God today doesn't treat me as a third class citizen. God treats John Carter as a king and a priest. So come now to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Don't ever have a bad view of yourself either. Don't think you're just a, a bunch of dirt. Don't think you're just simply animated mud on the way to dust. You're not. You're a child of God. You're a priest. You're a king. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, and they also who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. This verse tells me that Jesus is going to come again. And he's going to come to put an end to the reign of sin. Jesus is going to come as the judge of all men. And he is going to finish with the sin problem. And he's going to usher in a kingdom that is based on everlasting righteousness. And if you and I believe in the teachings of the Bible, and if we believe in the great prophecies of the Bible, I want you to know today that we could be the generation that will see him coming in the clouds of heaven. 
We could be there. I believe it is a distinct possibility that I will not die. I am not trying to act as a prophet or set a time, but I believe there is a distinct possibility that I will not die, but I will see the King coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Mm, what great truth this is. Now come to verse 8, please. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord. What does that mean? I am the Alpha and the Omega, or the Omega. What does it mean? He's the first and the last in the alphabet. <laughs> All knowledge is found in him. The totality of all wisdom, human and divine, is found in Christ. In Christ I have the answer to the riddle of human existence. I know where I came from. I know why I'm here. I know where I am going. I know the solution to my problems because he is the totality of all human experience and divine experience. The Alpha and the Omega, the Omega, the first and the last, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Listen to this. There's too much here. The term Almighty can be translated the all-ruler, the all-ruler. Here was a church, a little group of people back in those days, and they were facing annihilation at the hands of the state. When the hot breath of the emperor Domitian was breathing down their necks, God came and said to them, I am the Almighty. I am the All-Ruler. In the Old Testament, he says, I am El Shaddai. Oh, I love the sound of it. El Shaddai. I am, he said, El Shaddai. The next time you have a problem that seems too much to bear. Remember, the God whom we serve is not a little tinny God. He is El Shaddai, the Almighty. If you're facing a financial collapse in your business, you've done all you can do. You need not worry for another moment. He is El Shaddai. When we wonder sometimes, how can we pay this bill? How can we do this? At a night time when a person is feeling low in spirits and the blood sugar has dropped and the glands are not functioning as they ought and when depression sweeps over the soul, at that moment remember, I am, he says, El Shaddai, the Almighty. There is nothing too hard, I say to you. There is nothing too difficult or too hard in your home or with your children 
or with your health or with your finances. There is nothing too hard for the one who is called in Scripture the Almighty. Be of comfort. Know that the God whom we serve is the Almighty. Nothing is too hard for this eternal God. Please notice verse 10. Revelation 1, verse 10. Follow every text, please. We read, read verse 9. Verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on what day? I was there on the Lord's day and heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. What is the Lord's day? In Christendom today, I don't say this to offend my beloved friends in the Protestant and the Catholic churches. In Christendom today, it is widely believed that the Lord's Day is the first day of the week of Sunday. I say this to them with great Christian charity because most of those are far better Christians than I'll ever be. But the problem with the argument that says that Sunday is the Lord's Day, there's one great problem. It is not taught in the Bible. It is simply a tradition of the church. The Bible tells me alone what day is the Lord's Day, and it tells me it is the blessed seventh day Sabbath. Why did John receive these visions of the earth made new and the consummation of all things on the Sabbath? I wonder why. I will tell you why. The very word Sabbath means rest. The Sabbath says, remember the day when I made this world. Remember the beauty. Remember how I made a perfect couple. And there was perfect rest. No cancer. No heartaches. No abortions. No stillborn babies. No anguish. God says to John, I'm giving you these wonderful visions on the Sabbath because one day there's going to be a Sabbath all over the earth. I'm going to wipe out sin. The Sabbath not only points back to the rest in the Garden of Eden, my friend, but it points forward to the day when God is going to bring perfect peace to this world when there's going to be no more wars, no more wars in Bosnia, no longer wars in Serbia, no more racism in Los Angeles, no more violence, there is going to be the eternal Sabbath. God's people are going to still keep the seventh-day Sabbath, but that seventh-day Sabbath is going to have a glorious fulfillment in the peace and the rest and the beauty of a new world. Doesn't this give you hope? Mm -hmm. Please read on. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see right in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. I want you to um, think about this because this may be a new thought to you. 
God says, I'm going to send a message to my church. Send it to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, and so forth. What, do you, what sort of picture do you get in your mind when you think of God sending a message to the church? What sort of picture? Well, God sends a message, and it goes along to the church office. And the pastor's sitting in his office, and he opens up the letter that has been sent. What sort of picture do you get of the church? Did you know this? When this book of Revelation was written, there were no church buildings anywhere in the world. But you say, you can't have a church without a building. I'm here to tell you, my friend, the building is not the church. The building is not the church. When the book of Revelation... Now, some of you, I know, believe very strongly in the institutionalized church, and some of you are trusting very strongly that, the, that you must have your faith in the visible institutionalized church. You may be terribly deceived. You may miss out on the kingdom of God because you have believed a heresy... The church is composed of all those people who have true faith in Jesus. That's the church. And that's the invisible church. You say, but it's terribly important to have your name on the church roll. My friend, it is important, but it is not the most important thing. When this book of Revelation was written... The church did not have any buildings. The church did not have a hospital. The church did not have a conference office. The church had no institutions at all. But God sent the greatest message in the world to the church. Who is the church? Who is the church? What is the church? The church is made up of people of every different nationality scattered right around the world in different communions. Those people who are relying upon Jesus alone for salvation. When God looks down upon those people, he says, that's my church. And that is is the church that is triumphant and that is the church that goes through to the end. The church that trusts only in the efficacy of the blood of Jesus. That's the church. I want to tell you folks something. I covered membership in the church of the living God. The church whose names are written in heaven. Now, I want you to come now to verses 12 to 16, and we come now to the high point, I think, of this chapter. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 and onwards. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and they represent the church. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, that tells me that Jesus is with his people, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. He's pictured here as a king, as a prophet, 
and as a priest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refurned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. That is the symbol of judgment. His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. No wonder. And he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell, Hades, and the grave. There is no question this is the picture of the glorified Christ as the prophet, the priest, the king, and the judge. One great theologian said, the searching eyes and the burning feet testify that evil will be perceived and dealt with. The sword is the emblem of judgment and justice. But he says to his people, fear not. I was dead. You can't say that. None of us can say that. But he says, I was dead. I'm alive again. I have the keys. Aren't you glad about that? There is somebody today, my friend, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, who has the keys. Mm -hmm. I don't have the keys, but the Lord Jesus Christ has the key to my eternal salvation. No people here on this earth have the keys. Jesus has the key that will unlock the doors of paradise and take me in. And therefore he says, fear not. I want to say this to you. Listen to this and apply this to your own hearts, would you please? If another earthquake comes to Los Angeles, the big one comes, nine on the Richter scale. When the big one comes, you know what God says? Fear not. Hmm. I am the first and the last. I am El Shaddai. I have the keys. God says, fear not. If you discover that you've got cancer, our daughter called us last night and she was a little upset crying on the phone because she'd been to a doctor and they discovered a, a lump in her throat. She's worried. But I said to her, as I said to every person here, fear not. Jesus has the keys. In a congregation like this, it's as sure as anything that some of us are going to die of cancer. Whatever the disease is, that disease is nothing that is going to destroy you. Nothing can touch the soul whose life is hid with Christ in God. Nothing can touch me, nothing can touch you. Therefore, if cancer comes to your home, the message is, fear not. 
If you have a financial collapse, you're in a desperate situation, you don't know which way to turn. The Bible says, fear not. If your friends forsake you, if because of your stand for Christ, people who worship earthly authority more than God, if they walk out on you, even if your church friends despise you because they are people who do not understand the truth about the church, even if your friends forsake you, Harold, Beverly, the message is, fear not. 